Welcome to the City Alliance Church Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our messages. Our prayer is that you would listen, learn, and be inspired to love God, love others, and serve the world. Subscribe and share these messages to bless others. Here's this week's message. Good morning. Today's scripture comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. This is the word of God. Let's pray. God, you are so good. God, you love us enough to send your son to die on the cross for our sin, to be made like man and live a humbled life. God, I think so often uh, we go through life taking advantage of um, what you have blessed us with. God, I pray that in those blessings that we would ultimately look to you to know that you are true, that you are God, and that you are constant. Father, I pray that our, our actions and our words may be a reflection of you, that everything that we would do would be a reflection of the cross. God, I pray that as you, as Jamie preaches today, that you would uh, give him your words. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Seth. Good morning, everyone. Deep in the I'm South Jamie African Sanders. Wild, I'm the community the director snake here. Is at, one of the deadliest in the world. The snake's fangs act like a hypodermic needle, injecting venom quickly and efficiently. It only takes two drops of venom to spread toxic poison throughout the bloodstream. Luckily, if you act quickly, there is a cure and you can survive. First, a tourniquet is used to stop the spread of the poison through the body. Next, oxygen and respiratory support is given because the heart and lungs are weakened from the spread of toxins. Finally, the antidote to the venom is injected directly into the bloodstream to neutralize and eventually overcome the poison that is being spread. Now, while few of us will actually ever encounter a black mamba, maybe even more dangerous are the toxins we encounter every day. Navigating our current reality can feel like a dangerous and terrifying jungle full of snakes ready to bite. The good news is that while deadly, there is actually a cure to everything toxic in our lives. An antidote within our reach that will restore health and vibrancy to our minds and hearts. Just like treating a deadly mamba bite, We can cut off the poison of polarization that is penetrating our souls by turning away from sin and towards the cure of forgiveness. 
When our bodies and souls are shutting down under the stress of daily life, we can fill our lungs with life-sustaining support from the Bible, the Word of God. And when it feels like our broken hearts will never heal and there is no hope, we can inject ourselves with the truth of God, the antidote that will neutralize the poison affecting our entire world. All right. Good morning. I'm still Jamie Sanders, the community director here at City Alliance Church. I've just ensured that we're going to record the second service rather than this one. So you're going to get all kinds of freebies and off the script kind of stuff this morning. Uh, No extra charge. All right. uh, Listen, the last few weeks, uh, we have been talking about toxicity, right? Living in a toxic world and overcoming a toxic world. And I know that you feel it. Uh, You feel it on social media. You feel it uh, around you in the community. You feel it in your home. And you feel it even in your own heart if you're paying attention. And it's tough. If we're not paying attention and being diligent, it can take a serious toll on our lives. It can take a serious toll on the relationships we have with those around us. And we've used all kinds of venomous reptiles and uh, snakes and things to illustrate the toxicity of these things in our lives. And this morning... Uh, I want to use um, a- another example to illustrate what we're talking about, and that is the most feared beast in the Pennsylvania forests, the tick. The tick. Now, how many of you have had a tick attached to you? Excellent. I knew it. Yuck. They are a literal blood-sucking parasite. <laughs> they are disgusting. They're very hard to get off, and we all know that the worst thing about a tick is not just the the sore they leave behind, but the fact that they may expose you to Lyme's disease. And that little bitty tick bite, if not immediately addressed, can be the source of greater illness. It can negatively impact all aspects of your health. And so, we, I know, I know, you may never go into the forest again, I'm so sorry. Um, the tick bite is a great illustration of the problem of pride. Because the longer the tick bite is there, the greater your exposure to greater issues that Lyme's disease presents. And Lyme's disease even opens you up to a, a whole host of mysterious co-infections that can mask the actual source of your illness, but also whirl up a whole world of destruction in your body all on its own. How many of you have had Lyme disease? Yep. Uh, my own, folks in my own family, I know many of you in church have had struggles with that. And pride is very much the same. It digs itself into us, and it begins to cause exponential damage in our lives and in our relationships. Pride is, at its heart, a self-worth imbalance. It's when a positive sense of self-worth that recognizes one's own value and the inherent value of everyone becomes a sense that I'm of more value than other people. It operates on a sliding scale between we're all good people and, and there's great value in just being human to I am the greatest of all humans, right? And it sounds awful. And when you say these things in the, in the way that I'm going to say them this morning, we're all like, well, yes, that's just ridiculous. But I hope what we're doing is examining where we are on that scale and hearing that I am on that scale. The problem of pride is, is you don't necessarily have to go to the Bible to recognize that it's an issue. Researchers, uh, psychology, the world in general recognizes the problem of pride. And there are two facets of pride. The first is the productive and the positive that has to do with that inherent sense of self-value and worth. And the second is, linked, uh, is negative and is linked to narcissism 
or self-love and an overindulgent commitment to your own purposes, self-aggrandizement. Another definition says selfishness, narcissism is a selfishness involving a sense of entitlement, a lack of empathy for others, and a need for admiration. People who experience the first or the positive type of pride generally credit their actions for good things, and people in the second one credit themselves. It leads to statements like, well, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well at baseball because I practice a lot. That would be the first and more positive expression. The second one would be, well, of course I did well at baseball. I'm awesome, right? And this is like, you hear your kids say these things all the time, right? Like they throw something in the trash and you're like, I am awesome. Uh, And you can see sometimes if it's like a sport, if they do well at the very beginning, they sort of give up on practice because they assume, got it, nailed it, I'm awesome. It's done. My awesomeness is complete. And so one of the most difficult things to do is to reinforce that practice is necessary. Uh, Awesomeness follows a lot of practice, right? But when we are on the side of pride, we forget our need to continually do the right things to lead to the right sort of behavior. The dictionary, Merriam-Webster Dictionary, offers multiple definitions of pride, and they bear out that there are two facets to them. The first, the positive one, is a feeling that you respect yourself and deserve to be respected by others. That seems like a relatively healthy aspect of pride. The second, though, is a feeling that you are more important or better than other people, an inordinate sense of self-esteem. An inordinate sense of self-esteem. I want to remind you this morning, just for a second, that every sin is a twisting, a perversion, and usually an over-desire for something good that God has given us. It's a misunderstanding or a misrepresentation of good. Remember, the deceiver doesn't come up with anything on his own. He only perverts those things. But since pride has conflicting definitions, it may be wise to use a different word to use or to refer to the positive aspect and um, another word to refer to the negative. And typically we, re- we use the word dignity to refer to the positive aspect. And pride is associated most often with the negative aspect. And I think we're getting somewhere with that attempt. Another researcher that I read is, is preparing for in research for the sermon talked about Pride being a sense of love for others or vanity and hatred. Uh, Love for self, I'm sorry. Vanity and hatred of others. Now, if you think about that, if we start at dignity where we're all kind of the same and we have value, where we veer off is when we begin to love ourselves and we begin to hate others. And that gulf widens. We become more and more prideful and less and less fun to be around, right? Um. The expression of this, and I, and I mentioned this one because I feel like the expressions that we see, of, uh, we're about to read here, these expressions are very common in our culture. And the elevation of self in our culture is a very strong move. And we are feeling it, and these are some of the things that we see. The effects we might recognize are uh, in the hate mode, hating others. I seek freedom from social restraints. They're your restraints. They're not mine. I negate the value of social concepts and responsibility, since I only value my own independence. I prefer to be left alone. If I am not, then I daydream of violence and escape from you. 
I belittle the achievements of others, and I see my past life as a dreary life, a life of obeying rules and regulations, a life of obeying other people. You can sense the narcissism. You can sense almost a sense of sociopath uh, in, in that definition when we begin to hate others. In the vanity or self-love mode of that definition of pride, it says, I judge all issues in black and white terms. I have no moderation, no flexibility, and no tolerance of opposing views. I am dogmatic. My views cannot be wrong. Now, does that sound like every social media post and argument that you've ever read? Pride. Pride. It seeps in and we often don't even recognize the symptoms of pride in our own life. Well, those are some of the things that the world is saying about pride. What does the Bible have to say about pride? As believers, if you're a believer here this morning, you hear a lot about pride. You read a lot about it in Scripture. You know that pride is uh, the first of the list of seven deadly sins, right? Even though that's not a list you find in Scripture as such. But over the, over the years, the church has been like, hmm, I think these... I think I see these seven common threads that are very awful. And pride is at the top of that list. The scripture tells us uh, really that pride could be the root of all of the other sins. And, and it probably is rightly viewed as the root of all the other sins. It was pride that caused Satan to fall from his position as the bright morning star, the most powerful and beautiful of the angels. He began to overvalue himself and see himself as a competitor of God. I think I can do better. I don't think you're getting this right. I have a better idea. This scripture also tells us that God hates pride. It says that over and over and over. You see it in the Psalms. You see it in the Proverbs. You see it in the New Testament. You see it everywhere. The Bible says, uh, The Lord detests the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Scripture also says that pride goes before a fall. It goes before destruction. Why does it go before destruction? Because of what it says in James chapter 4, verse 6. It says pride, well, it doesn't say pride goes before destruction. It simply says that God opposes the pride, which results in that destruction, if that makes sense. We begin to be in opposition to God when we begin to decide that we have better ideas or better ways of doing things and His ways aren't quite right. God begins to oppose us. Now I want to illustrate for uh, for us this morning because I think when we think about God opposing us, that brings up all kinds of images that are not correct images of God, like the angry judge, uh, the harsh disciplining father. These aren't the images that He's talking about. Uh, and I think this illustrates this well. How many of you like a lazy river? I guess the time of the year when I'm like, man, I could really enjoy getting in a lazy river. Look how much fun these people are having. Like, I love getting in a lazy river. Like, we went to Hershey Park one time, and it was all I could do to just not stay in a lazy river all day long. I'm like, I paid like a lot of money to get in here. I should get up and go do something. But I like to just cruise around in that river and relax. You don't have a care in the world. You know, you're just going along with the flow. And it feels great, right? Soaking in the sun. Maybe you have a beverage. Uh, maybe you had a friend or two floating along with you. And everything's great until you realize, oh, I need to get out. And oh, I floated past the stairs. And you hop off your inner tube, right? And then all of a sudden, 
you, you were resting? Like, I stayed in him long enough where I'm like, I'm pretty much asleep by the time I decide I need to get out. And all of a sudden, now I'm facing this current, and I'm awakened by the fact that I'm no longer going with the flow. Now I've got to fight my way back up to the stairs and, and get out of this thing. And you're going against the flow. You're feeling the resistance. What once was so wonderful has now become resistance. Now imagine a full-size river. And I want you to think, this is actually the Susquehanna River. I love that you can't see what's around the bend. Because imagine the river as God's will for your life. You don't know what's around the bend. There's going to be deep spots. There's going to be rapids. There's going to be difficult portions. There's going to be easy portions. And if God's will for us is like a river, pride is like when we decide, I no longer want to go downstream. Hey God, this isn't the way I want to go. I want to stay right here. So you start the back. Do you ever do the float your fanny and the Susquehanna? Whew. Sometimes there's not enough current to keep you going, right? The last one that people had, like people were like dropping out because of dehydration. They were getting stuck to their inner tubes. It was so slow and hot that day. Um, but when you decide you don't want to go with the river and the river's flowing, it takes a lot of work, right, to keep where you're at. And you might decide, hey, there's some things over here. I want to grab those things because those are important. And you might try to grab those things. It's going to be really hard, right? I, mean, I want to grab this rock from the bottom. I think I need this. You're going to feel the opposition, the strong flow, because God is opposing you. Why? Not because he desires to punish you or make you miserable, because he wants you to move down the path of his will for your life. Because your heavenly father has planned out the things that he, he wants you to encounter. And your path for growth and development and maturity He's put before you for your own good, which leads to his glory, but therefore your good. And they may not feel like it at the time. You may want to avoid them and start going upstream, but as you do, you're going to face God's opposition. And so many of us as believers, and I know myself at times, am spending all my energy resisting God's will. And it's pride. It's pride. And the opposition that comes and listen, we're going to talk about signs of pride in our life. Uh, one, of the oppo- one of the things that, that I didn't put on that list, but is evident here, is if you feel spiritual opposition, if you really feel strong conviction or feel a lack of traction in your spiritual life, like you're not getting anywhere, you may be holding on to something that God is asking you to let go of. You may be trying to swim upstream when God is saying, let go, trust me, I know what's around the bend. And it is for your good. You may be feeling God's opposition, even though you're his child. Scripture says that God is a father who loves his children, and that means he trains them. I tell this to my son all the time when I have to discipline him. I said, son, it's my job to train you. I have to. And the only reason I do it is because I love you, and I desire for you to have a better future that doesn't include this kind of behavior. God loves us, and his plan is good for us. And if we're feeling that opposition, we may need to evaluate if there's pride in our life, if we've decided not to do something that he has caused us or desires for us. And so how do we identify pride in our lives? Now, I want to get back to the, I want to get back to the ticks because they're just so awesome. When it comes to ticks, there's easy ones to identify, right? The ones you see in the mirror, the ones you see... When you look around. And then there's the harder ones to identify, right? 
And I don't want to go into too much detail here, right? But you can't always see them. They're not always evident. But when it comes to the easy ones, we have to take care of those. Uh, Last week, I took a little bit of time to go hunting in the morning. It's archery season, and I had a luncheon. As a matter of fact, I was meeting with Robert Montgomery for lunch. And uh, so I thought, well, I'm going to get this hunt in quick, and I'm going to go uh, meet Robert for lunch. And so I didn't take a stand or a saddle or anything to get up in a tree with me. I wanted to, uh, to ground hunt. And I ended up hiding in a deer bed. You can tell when it's a deer bed and there's a flattened spot in the florist floor. You can kind of tell, oh, it looks like something was laying here. There was. It was a deer. And I laid in that bed because I was actually waiting for them to come back to bed. And I was going to shoot them. That's honey. Um, <laughs> That's just a terrible, it's a, just a terrible reality, isn't it? Uh, but when I got up to go, and I didn't get a deer, so you're probably thankful uh, after that terrible description. Uh, so I got up to go meet Robert for lunch, and um, while I'm talking to Robert at lunch, we're at Macedo's, and I am feeling something really uncomfortable on my neck, and I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, what? I think I have a tick. It was not a small, like, it wasn't a small one. They're really small sometimes. This was not a small one. And I, like, Robert was talking to me, and I, like, took my phone, and I was casually trying to take a picture of it, see if I could identify uh, what it was and make sure, what, like, what, am I right? Is this a tick? Like, ah. And sure enough, later, I got home, and I could identify by looking in the mirror and taking a better picture with my phone. I had a tick, and I couldn't get it out. Chrissy had to, to get it out for me. Ticks are disgusting, right? They're disgusting. And some, of, some of them are easy to identify and some aren't. Listen, pride is disgusting. And some of it is easy to identify and some of it's not. Listen, I have no idea how Robert kept from saying, like we're sitting right across the table from me, how he kept from saying, hey, you got, you got a big blood-sucking parasite right on the side of your face. Like... People aren't always going to tell you about your pride, right? And hopefully there are people close to you you can trust that will tell you. They'll point it out to you. So what are some signs of pride in your life? Here's some easy ones, right? Some easy ones. You probably think of some of these. People who are boastful. If you talk about yourself a lot and don't show any interest in other people, you answer questions, but you don't ask any questions of people. Because you don't care. It's pride. You compare yourselves favorably to others. You're easily angered. You snap at others if they're in your way. They block your goals. You splurge on yourself, but give little to others. Also, you, you give yourself lots of grace, and you give little grace to others. You're arrogant. You're negative toward other people. Those are some of the easy signs. Now, let's be honest. You probably all were thinking during that time, oh, I know somebody who fits that person. I hope they're listening. I'm sending this sermon right away to so-and-so, right? Because pride is so much easier to see in others than it is in ourselves. We do not evaluate or experience ourselves the way we evaluate and experience other people. And so I'm asking you, I'm talking to you, we're going to talk more about it, about being mindful of whether or not pride has gathered or gained a foothold in your life. Just like I needed Chrissy's help to identify and remove that tick, you might need someone else's help to identify and remove pride from your life. It's also imperative that you ask the Lord to help you see these things. 
that you prayerfully reflect on your own character. You take a pride check the same way you would take a tick check when you come in from being in habitat where ticks are. You're in the world. You are always in the habitat of pride. So you must always be doing a pride check on yourself. Use the words of Psalm 139, 23 to 24 as a guide. You know these verses probably. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and see if there be, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any wicked or offensive way in me. Be pride and lead me in the way everlasting. So you may have been listening to that first list of signs of pride in your life, and you may have been thinking about yourself and thought, no, I don't really do any of those things. Don't worry, I have another list. (laughs) Uh, There are some more difficult signs. As a matter of fact, I I just tell you this, the Lord has revealed pride to me. Like you, You may wonder, like I look like Johnny Cash up here today. I'm dressed all in black because I've been thinking about pride all week. And it hurts. God gave me an opportunity to spend the whole week thinking about my own pride. It's a good hurt, because I know what to do with it. But we should be feeling that hurt. Nathan told me, I think, at least a dozen times, hey, you should, you should put an illustration of your own personal pride in your sermon. Like, he would tell me that sometimes twice a day. I'm like, Nathan, stop it! I'm not trying to come up with one. I'm trying to narrow them down. But the Lord revealed to me, like as I look at the last four or five years of my life, that busyness has been a sign of pride in my life. Many of you know that I have, uh, I have had one and a half jobs during this time. I work half time here and I was working full time at Camp Susqua, taking care of my parents' house, trying to take care of things at my house, be present for my family. And it, and it resulted in busyness. And, and on top of that, I like to do a lot of I have a lot of hobbies because I'm proud. And the Lord revealed to me, like, my business has been pride. I judge other people for not getting as much done or doing as much as I did. I take pride in the fact that, oh, I do this, that, and the other thing. I excused myself for all the things I wasn't giving attention to that were important and are important, more important. I begin to feel like I need to get this done or I'm the best person to do all of these jobs. And in trying to do all of those things, I was neglecting some of the most important things. And the Lord revealed to me that just plain busyness was all covered up in pride. Sometimes it's harder to see. I remember coming home from a trail run one time and um, I had a tick here. I have a lot of tick stories. I also, as I was covered up with pride examples this week, I was also thinking, wow, I've had a lot of ticks. Uh, I had a tick in my, in my shoulder. And I, a year later, I could still feel this tick. I dug it out. It was awful. Um, and I remember telling Chrissy, ah, oh, I dug a tick out. It was gross. She's like, well, do you have any more? And I, I'm like, ah, no, I don't. She, Did you check your back? Um, and I said, yes. But I said yes the same way that my son says yes when I asked him if he brushed his teeth. Like, yes, I meant to, or I know I should have, but I didn't actually do it. And so she came up to me, and she just spun me around, and, she, and sure enough, there were two more ticks in my back. Two more ticks. 
I had no idea. This one I could feel, right? Those I couldn't even feel. No idea. I had no idea. And sometimes pride's sneaking up on you, and you have no idea. One of my favorite preachers says that everyone struggles with pride, but not everyone knows it. Everyone struggles with pride, but not everyone knows it. And what I just said is that everyone in this room is struggling with pride. The question is, do we know it? And what are we doing about it? All right, I'm going I'm to go into my list of harder, harder pride symptoms, that they're harder symptoms to recognize as pride. And some of these may seem like weird, like, I, I don't know, that, like Lyme's disease is weird. Like, you're like, where is this coming from, right? Same kind of deal. And some of these, you might even, as I list them, you might even consider them a strength or a, a, a positive character quality of yours. And, and, and perhaps, it's, perhaps it is, but perhaps it's gone into overdrive. They're things like being self-sufficient, like feeling insecure all the time. It's pride. There's pride to that. Being self-conscious or overly critical of yourself is pride. Perfectionism is pride. Self-pity is pride. It starts with self, right? Anything, anytime something starts with self, you've got you to watch out for that. You think it's important to reveal or to tell others what you're thinking you don't get much out of other people's preaching or teaching often. You have a lot of personality conflicts with people. You're not teachable. You're not accountable. You have a sense of entitlement. Well, I deserve better. I should have. And the last one I'm going to mention is if you think of yourself as humble. If you think of yourself as humble. I was listening to a podcast couple of weeks ago and one of the guys was describing his church movement that he was a part of and he was like we just like he was describing it to another person who was an author and he's like you know we're just humble we're just we're just we're just a humble group of folks and his, his friend who's the author said to him yeah it's, it's amazing how aware of that you are <laughs> because it's pride okay there's a bunch more things on this list but i may have gotten to everybody in the room by now so the big question is, what do I do when I find pride in my life? Unfortunately, there is no doxycycline. There's no antibiotic to just ingest or take to get rid of pride. But there is an antidote, and the antidote is humility. Humility is the antidote to pride. Humility begins when we can admit that we are not the greatest. We are not better. We're not more important, more deserving, more lovable, or even likable than other people. We're just not. It's humbling ourselves before all others. And more than that, humility is for the believer recognizing the fact that there is a creator God. And he truly is God. He's not the God we want him to be. He is the God that he is. He created us and we are his creation. And everything he says is true. Otherwise, he's just not God. And you can't say, I don't like that about you, God, because as soon as you do that, he's not your God. We must humble ourselves before the living God, the creator and recognize that his will is greater than ours and that he is to be followed and obeyed at all costs. Humbling ourselves before God in everything, all things, all aspects of our lives. So how do we do this? There's two things I want to mention. The first is we need to keep our eyes on Christ. 
He's the author, the perfecter of our faith. He is the perfect example of what it means to follow Christ in perfect humility. And we see it in the passage that we read this morning in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to skip right to verse 5. And you're familiar with this passage, I'm sure. This is called the great kenosis passage, the great emptying passage, where it describes how God, uh, through Christ, uh, Christ himself emptied himself of all that he was so that he could take on humanity and the nature of a servant. And verse 5 says, Your attitude, my attitude, should be the same as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as man. Emphasize, underline these words right here. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Christ humbled himself by letting go of who he was and becoming God's servant, even to death. He let go of all of his rights for the rights and the needs of others, of us. He let go of all of his fears and grabbed hold of faith in what God was calling to do in the plan that they had put together for the rescue of all of mankind. He let go of his personal desires, and he took up God's desires. You remember the prayer he prayed, God, if it's possible... I know we talked about this, but if it's possible for us to accomplish this in any other way, while he had tears of blood and anguish, because it was not easy for Jesus to obey unto death, but Jesus obeyed God to death. He obeyed God to death. And pride develops in us when we think of ourselves as more important. We take our eyes off of God's will and we look to the things only that we want to do. When we take our eyes off of those around us and we think only of our wants, needs, and desires, Jesus humbled himself by submitting to God's will. Those were conscious choices he was making. He didn't just naturally do it. He was not on autopilot. He had to consciously, continually choose to obey God rather than his own desires. It's not that he didn't have those desires. He was human. and Hebrews tells us he was tempted in all ways such as we are. In all ways. And you might say, well, he didn't really tempted because like, he didn't like, do any of those things. That's, that's even, that makes it more even difficult still. Jesus is our perfect example. He was obedient to God's will. He chose his identity as God's son over his human desires. He chose to do what God willed when in, willed when in his own humanness he would have willed otherwise. He chose to do... Not what he didn't, he chose to do what he didn't want to do in exchange for what God wanted and called him to do. And he obeyed God to death. Not when it was convenient, not when he could see how it would work out for his good, not when he thought it would make him look good. He chose that at the hardest moments and at every moment. Humility for you and I means submitting to God's will always and in all ways. So what happened when Jesus did that? Philippians 2.9 tells us. When he humbled himself, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. When Jesus humbled himself, God exalted him. When we exalt ourselves, God opposes us. 
Jesus humbled himself to the perfect degree. So we saw Jesus, when we keep our eyes on him, we see him submitting to the will of God, and we see him submitting to the needs of others. It's not just you and God living this thing out. It's you and God in community. Ha, this was already difficult. This is impossible, right? This is impossible. That's why I told my city group the other night, and I was in jest, that the spiritual fathers who ran off to the desert, they were sort of cheating, although they did still live in community. But they took themselves out of the community at large. And that's the crucible in which we are called to submit ourselves to God's will and to the will and the needs of the people that are around us. That just got big. got really big. Philippians 2, 1 through 4, talk about this. The verses preceding Jesus' example. It's saying, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, this is a, this is a Jewish way of saying something that, that presumes, of course I do. It presumes a positive answer. There's a name for it. I can't remember what it is. Um, but this presumes a positive answer. From being united with Christ. If you have any comfort from his love, in essence, is it, do you have any comfort from his love? Of course I do. Brothers and sisters, do you have encouragement from Christ's love? Do you have, in, do you have, do you have comfort from his love? This is, we need this because it's the fuel for, if we have, for the things that he's calling us to. If fellowship, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each one of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Somewhat familiar verses. And, And somewhat somewhat simple right but as you begin to apply these verses they become very very challenging and i think one of the most challenging things about them is we forget the comfort and encouragement we have from jesus love because that is where the rest of it begins you can't just do it we've got to hold on to humility with the motive the motive of what we receive, the comfort we receive and encouragement from Christ's love. We have to move forward with the attitude that others are better than me. It literally says that. Others are better than you. Like, if you're a prideful person, that's hard to say. It's not, it's not other people, okay, then I, yeah, I, guess, I guess he is. No, everybody. Everybody is better than you. Everybody. Not just the people you kind of like. Or the people where you're like, oh, I can see that. <laughs> well, he's, yeah, it's probably dead. Nope, everybody. 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 And then the action is getting after it, serving other people's needs, keeping their needs in mind, serving them according to their needs. In order to know that you're serving them according to their needs, that means you have to be paying attention to them. And if you're going to pay attention to them and their needs, you have to put your eyes on them and off of yourself. Because you'll never serve anyone according to their needs if you can only see yourself. Because we are highly 
wired to want everyone to serve us according to our need. As a matter of fact, just live according to my need. And that's literally exactly what we read in that definition of pride at the beginning. I want everybody to go away and leave me alone, and I'm not doing any of your constructs. And if you bother me, I'm going to be in secretly wishing you dead. Our action is to take our eyes off ourselves and look at the needs of others. Pay attention. Be thoughtful. Izzy drew a picture in crayon um, a long time ago when she was a little girl of uh, Jesus on the cross. It's hanging in our bedroom. She was really young. She probably got this from City Kids. And said when and she wrote on the bottom of it in crayon, it's all crayon picture. When Jesus was on the cross, I was on his mind. And I'd heard that before. But my daughter wrote it. She drew a crayon picture of it. And it's a reminder to me that that's actually literally true. That Jesus didn't just submit because that's what God wanted. He submitted because that's what we needed. No one else knew what we needed. No one else could do anything about what we needed. But as he died for us, he was thinking, I have no people. No one will have a right relationship with me. No one can have a right relationship with my father unless I do something like this. And this is the way. So we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. And we do, we watch him submit to the will of his father and we watch him submit to the needs of others. And he does it perfectly, perfectly. So if we're watching him and he's doing it perfectly and we don't do it perfectly, then we have to do something that he didn't do, right? So if he humbled himself and did these things perfectly, we ought also, obviously, to humble ourselves. It's important that you realize that Scripture says that's something you and I do, and that's something Jesus did. It's not something that happened to him. It's the choices he made to humble himself, to submit himself to God's will, conscious choice, submit himself to the needs of others, conscious choice. We have to humble ourselves and make these same conscious choices, but We're not going to do it perfectly. So we have to do something that Jesus did. How will we humble ourselves? It's something we must do, but humility cannot be our goal, right? Because if humility is on our goal, we will always be looking at ourselves to see, am I humble? Was I humble? Was I humble enough? Did I do humble? How am I doing? How am I doing humble? And eventually we're going to self-justify ourselves into saying, oh, I'm humble now. And then we'll be in that position of that guy that was like, we're so humble, which is a huge sign of pride, right? So humility cannot be our goal. Jesus is our goal. He's our example. But we're going to fall short. And then how do we humble ourselves? Quickly and simply. And you know, you know what I'm about to say because I say it all the time. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves, remind ourselves that our example died for us because we needed him to do so. I'm going to give you a couple R's, well, four R's. We've got to recognize 
the sin in our lives. We have to do that pride check. We don't compare ourselves to others. We compare ourselves to Christ. What do I see that I'm holding on to that God wants me to let go of so that I can be in the flow of his will for my life? What, is he, what do I need to pick up? Where in my life am I not submitting to God's will? Who do I consider as less than myself? Whose needs am I neglecting or not paying attention to? Sometimes when you're doing this, you may find a deep, by God's grace, you may find a deeply seated area of pride in life, a tick that's way in. And, and you, yes, you need to do these steps, but you may need to move further. You may need to ask a brother or sister to pray for you. You may need to seek counseling. You may need to do uh, a time of journaling, praying, and, and, and reflection on that particular issue. It may take you a while to begin to root that out and to heal from it. And you begin here by recognizing it. The first R is to recognize it. The second is to repent, to preach the gospel. It means, the repent means literally to, to let go of that thing and to grab hold of what God wanted you to have. It looks like this. This would be a prayer that you would pray. Lord, you have shown me and I confess that I'm not loving my wife well. This is an example. I do all the things I want and I give her what is left of me. I do not honor her in her sacrificial work. I ask her to meet my needs with no conscious consideration of hers lord i desire your will i put that down and and i pick this up i don't want as your word tells me to love her as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her and i want your very best for her lord and then you pick it up and you say god i will honor you and her by moving toward her in love and thinking of her needs as my responsibility my first responsibility that's repentance And after you repent, you recognize your pride. You repent. You pick up what God wants because every every prideful thing is a lie and you have to drop the lie and pick up the scriptural truth. And then you reorient yourself. You rehearse your salvation. This is a thing you do during daily repentance. You remember, I had a need I couldn't fulfill. That sin right there, that, that was a death sentence. That was enmity between me and God. And I give it back to you, Lord. And I receive your truth. And I receive the blood of Christ as payment for that sin. And I thank you for that payment. In salvation, in rehearsing our salvation, we remember that we had a need that we could not take care of. We could do nothing. And God did it for us in Christ. And we are humbled. We remember that we receive the gift of faith from God. That he gives to us. It was a gift given to us, not that we could earn or deserve, not by work so that we could boast, and we are humbled. We remember that God chose us to be his child, not because we're awesome. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians one twenty six says he chose the weak and the foolish things of this world. And we are humbled because he chose us. The gospel humbles us. We say things like, and this would be the prayer, Lord, I thank you that you've made it possible for me to be right with you and that through Christ I've done, I can have hope to change my sinfulness and that you see me as though I am doing all of these things perfectly as if Christ were doing them. And the final R is rejoice. Listen, if you stop with humble, it's going to turn into shame. If you stop with being humbled by the gospel, it's going to be turned into shame. And God did not ask you to stop with being humbled. The correct posture of the believer all day, every day, and this is a secret we often forget, is rejoicing. 
Rejoice that God has provided and given you all of these things. And not only this, He is going to bring us to Himself to be satisfied eternally in Him, in a place where there is no sin. It's now possible for us not to sin. There will come, there's coming a time when it's not possible for us to sin, and we'll be satisfied in our Savior forever. Christy and I were just postulating yesterday, what's that going to look like? What's it going to be like? It's going to be like joy, and we should have that joy now. We have to recognize our sin. We have to repent. We have to reorient ourselves, remind ourselves that God has done wonderful things for us, and then we rejoice. We get up rejoicing. This is where our encouragement from Christ comes from. This is where the comfort from his love comes from in Philippians 2.1. Brothers and sisters, if we keep our eyes on Christ, submitting to God's will and focus on the needs and fulfilling the needs of those around us, if we humble ourselves by preaching the gospel to ourselves in regular confession, humility will find us. We will have humbled ourselves, and God will exalt us in ways we cannot imagine for his own glory. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful, and Lord, I just pray that you would restore us to a place of continual rejoicing in all that you have given and all that you are for us. For your glory and for your honor, may we love you and submit to your will, and Lord, may our love for others be evident. We don't have to tell them we love them. They're going to know we love them because we're serving them according to their need. Father, may you be so glorified to produce this in us, a humility that comes from dependence upon you. And we will thank you for it in Jesus' name. Let's stand and worship him together this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that today's message encouraged and inspired you. If you live in the Williamsport region of PA, we'd love to engage you in person. You can find more information on service times, city groups, and our incredible kids and youth ministry at citylions.org. That's citylions.org.